We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. The show today presented by Window Nation. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com. Mention my name. You'll get a free estimate. You've got nothing to lose. They'll take good care of you. One guest on the show today, Fred Smoot, will be on. Uh, a crowd favorite for sure. Smoot coming up in the next segment of the show. A couple of things to get to here in the open to the show. Um, starting with this. Five Washington Commanders players are among the top ten at their position in Pro Bowl voting by fans. So this is the first release of Pro Bowl voting by fans to give you an idea of where players currently rank. Sam Howell among quarterbacks in the NFC ranks 10th. Jonathan Allen among defensive tackles, 8th. Antonio Gibson among returners, 7th. Cam Curl, strong safety, fourth. Uh, Let's just say at this point, none of these players very likely to make a Pro Bowl. Um, Maybe Cam Curl as an alternate based on this initial fan vote reveal. But here is a player who looks to be on track to make the Pro Bowl. His name is Terrell Burgess. He is first in most Pro Bowl votes among NFC special teamers. Terrell Burgess, I said. So I saw this and I said, huh? What? Terrell who? Actually, I knew who Terrell Burgess was, but the idea that Terrell Burgess is number one in fan voting for the NFC Pro Bowl special team spot was completely out of left field. I have not, I'm telling you now, as much as we all watch these games, and I go back and watch them a second time, there's not been great emphasis this year on the special teams, that's for sure, because 
of the defensive woes and the, you know, the focus so much on Sam Howell this year. Um, we have certainly uh, been here to document Joey Sly and Cam Cheeseman's years and Tressway's years. I have pointed out a couple of times, and I went back and looked at various notes from various games to see where I had you know, identified good special teams play. Most of my special teams mentions in postgame are either Tressway or Cam Cheeseman or Joey Sly for missing something or for Cam Cheeseman snaps or for Tressway having an outstanding game, although he did have one rough game earlier in the year. But uh, the only other notes that I could find is I had written down multiple times Quan Martin's name as pretty solid in coverage, in punt coverage. They haven't had much kickoff coverage this year because Joey Sly has had maybe one kickoff returned this year. Terrell Burgess, he wears number 32 people. He has played in eight games for Washington, and he's played on 198 special teams snaps. If you're not familiar, he wears number 32. Now, how does that happen? Seriously. How do fans know who the hell Terrell Burgess is? They don't, I don't think. I think Jeremy Reeves, who was named the Pro Bowler last year as the special teamer in the NFC, I think they just assumed that Terrell Burgess was Jeremy Reeves, the Washington special teamer from last year. It's no knock against Burgess. For all I know and I don't know, Burgess is having a hell of a year and I've just missed it. It's not been noticeable to me, but a lot of emphasis on the special teams this year we've not had except for a lot of the super negative or super positive. With the exception, again, I think Quan Martin has been noticeable as a kick coverage guy, I mean, this year. Uh, He has, in terms of special teams, Quan Martin, 223 snaps on special teams in – in the 12 games that he's been available to play. Remember, he had some concussion issues earlier this year. So there's your surprise for the day. Maybe some of you aren't going to be surprised by this. Maybe you have been there to, to, to document your, in your own way the incredible year that Terrell Burgess is having. And again, he may be having an outstanding year. I would bet you, though, that part of this has to do with Jeremy Reeves winning uh, being the Pro Bowl representative special teamer for the NFC team last year. I think that's it. Who knows? Terrell Burgess. Um, all right. So, John Kime and Jeremy Fowler wrote a very long story on ESPN uh, today titled Inside the Commanders and How the Commanders Reached the Crossroads and What Comes Next. And there are some interesting nuggets in this story. It's a very long story. Now, I would be lying if I told you I thought there were major reveals in here about various things. But I also kind of feel like all of us live this day-to-day. And that for a lot of people that don't live it day-to-day, it will be very revealing in many ways. Um, but still, there are some really good nuggets in here. And I'll start with, and I'm just going to go through some of these real quickly. So 
The first section of this story deals with the trade deadline and the trading of Montez Sweat and Chase Young. And, you know, we'd like to know in, in great detail with John and Jeremy Fowler's great reporting with, you know, anonymous sources and, and getting inside and getting people to speak, you know, not necessarily on the record, but to give them information off the record. Um, we, we do know that, you know, before, you know, reading the story that the sense was they wanted to trade Chase Young. They didn't really want to trade Montez Sweat. So let me read a couple of things here. So trade calls flooded the office lines and personal phones of general manager Martin Mayhew and executive vice president of player personnel Marty Herney, along with head coach Ron Rivera, who has final say on personnel. Montez Sweat and Chase Young, players the organization once viewed as potential long-term pillars, were the main topics for trade partners. Other veterans with expiring contracts were also under consideration to be dealt. But the boss would have to weigh in before any moves occurred, and no one at Commander's Park knew exactly what that boss, a little more than three months into his tenure, was thinking. New owner Josh Harris, meeting remotely with his football brain trust, faced his first foot uh, first big football decision since he'd been approved as owner on July 20th. Harris emphasized he was open to acquiring future draft capital on the trade market, particularly with Sweat and Young, according to front office and team sources. Here's a quote. Harris didn't roll in as a sheriff, uh, as the source put it, in line with the owner's philosophy of leaning on staff to make recommendations before major decisions are made. He gave his opinion, everyone was heard, and we landed in a fair spot. Closed quote. Uh, what Jeremy and John write is, but when you're calling the shots, a suggestion can often be taken as an edict. Sweat and Young were gone within hours of the meeting, dealt to Chicago and San Francisco for second and third round picks, respectively. Within league circles, the terms of the trades were viewed as favorable to the commanders. But that didn't mean it felt like a win for Mayhew, Herney, or Rivera. One personnel source said in a text to ESPN on the evening of October 30th, quote, today has not been a good day, closed quote. So why wasn't it a good day, uh, the day they traded Sweat and Young? Well, it's simple. Rivera and Del Rio and the coaches out there had aspirations, or you may say delusions, of continuing to compete for a good season and the playoffs. And they knew without Sweat, their chances of that weren't going to be great on defense. I don't know how much he would have helped. Uh, plus, they weren't going to be around to gain to gain the benefit of the draft choices that were coming back, and they understood that as well. Um, another significant part of this story and section of this story deals a lot with Eric Bieniemy, And, man, it is long, and I'm going to try to get to as much of it as I can here um, in a short period of time. So uh, Jeremy Fowler and John Kime essentially, you know, give us the background on, you know, why Enemy was there and the responsibility he was given uh, by Ron Rivera, the autonomy he was given uh, by Ron Rivera, you know, uh, the chance uh, to be something more, a lot more than he was in Kansas City. Um, and, you know, Biennemi took control and 
he started to do things the way he wanted to do them, uh, but they were far different than the way they had been done. But Ron Rivera went along with it, and a lot of it had to do with the changing of the schedule uh, on a weekly basis and even the way they would meet and how they would meet. Um, you know, Bienemy, there's a line in here, Rivera's wager on the 54-year-old coach has been something less than an instant jackpot, even though Hal's performed admirably and bienemy has been given a lot of credit for that. But Rivera essentially relinquished a, a level of power by hiring Bienemy. And one of the things that Bienemy started to do right when he got there was change the team's regular season practice and meeting schedules. And, t- you know, again, teams typically have Tuesdays off during the season. Bienemy changed it to Mondays off during game weeks. Some players, including team veterans and those with families, have not warmed to it. Kime and Fowler write. Uh, one player grumbled, it's what Bienemy wants. Closed quote. Uh, and so then there was this about Bienemy. Among the players' other issues early in the year per team sources was that was that afternoon offensive meetings frequently ran long and got in the way if players needed treatment. Bienemy's initial concession was to allow players to use foam rollers on the floor of the meeting rooms to save meeting time a team source. Now in recent weeks Bienemy has relaxed some of the some of the demands including shortening shortening Wednesday practices from 2 hours to closer to an hour and a half. One player telling uh you know Fowler and Kime, quote, he's gotten better at respecting our time. closed quote. Um he's gotten into it with some players. He got into it with Terry McLaurin during cha- training camp. Terry McLaurin intervened when Benjamin St. Juice hit one of McLaurin's offensive teammates in what McLaurin deemed to be an overzealous manner. Bienemy fired an expletive back at McLaurin. McLaurin didn't back down, vowing to defend his teammate. Um, as one chief source, uh, chief's source said of Bienemy, he's demanding, he'll push people, and he doesn't care if he ruffles feathers. Uh, multiple sources said Bienemy and the offensive coaches work well past midnight, some nights during the week, less than standard practice in an NFL that typically includes early morning starts to the workday. One member of the staff said that while long hours are a testament to Bienemy's stamina, the pace is nearly impossible to maintain even in the notoriously sleep-deprived NFL coaching profession due to the length of of the season. Uh, Biennemi acknowledged the, de- the demands on the staff, but said they were part of establishing a winning culture. Um, what else was there? Uh, there's a lot about, you know, Biennemi's style. You know, that, that sort of spoke to this tension that has definitely existed. Remember Ron going public during training camp about players coming to him, which was really stupid to do. Um, but there's no doubt that there there is some tension in that building as it relates to Bienemy. Now, with respect to his offense, um, it's written the commander spent significant time with the passing game all offseason with quick throws and run-pass option plays used as an extension of the running game. That theme has persisted in the regular season with the commanders leading the league with 509 passing attempts. 59 more than any other team. This is an area several team sources believe 
Rivera should have addressed with Biennemi on occasions that called for running the ball. But in line with the authority Rivera gave Biennemi over the offense, the head coach did not meddle in Biennemi's offensive plan. After the 14-7 loss to the Giants, McLaurin was critical of the scheme, lamenting the low number of fades and crossing routes called for him against the Giants' blitz. Uh, And um, so McLaurin, who was held without a catch in Sunday's loss to the Dolphins, has met weekly with Biennemi since that public criticism. Uh... While changes in both on and off the field approach have prevailed since Biennemi came aboard, the wins have not fo- followed, and the offense has scored 20 or fewer points in four of the past five games. The losing has amplified some of the grumbling, both about Biennemi's style and play calling. But Biennemi's defenders insist the complaints are unfair to a coach trying to revamp a system with mediocre talent in some areas. Uh, this is from an NFC team executive. Quote, he took over a tough situation there in Washington and has worked hard to correct it. They needed a culture shock there. I think he's probably helped his profile. Closed quote. Um, yeah. Uh, so that's a lot of the B enemy stuff. Look, my after reading that section, I thought, Okay, well, this is, you know, kind of what we've known was part of the reason teams didn't want to hire Eric Bieniemy. Uh, there is no doubt, you know, there's going to be, especially if you're not winning, and they were always winning in Kansas City, um, there may be a short shelf life to Bieniemy being, you know, in, in the building with a lot of people. Uh, so I, I do think, like, like we talked about during the offseason, and again, this isn't even opinion, nobody wanted him except for Washington. Nobody. We don't even know for sure if Washington hadn't hired him, if Kansas City would have brought him back. I think Andy Reid would have had to have brought him back. But Matt Nagy was going to become the offensive coordinator. So I think you know there's been enough going back to training camp to understand what the resistance to Biennemi was from a lot of teams. On the other hand, I'm like, man up. I mean, seriously, players, veterans, with those with families have not warmed to the new schedule. You know, quote one player grumbled, "It's what Biennemi wants." Closed quote. Uh, you know, he quote, he's gotten better at respecting our time, closed quote. I mean, seriously, what have any of those people won? Eric Bieniemy came to this organization with two rings and probably recognized it as too soft. And he was the guy that was going to, you know, instill some toughness, some work ethic, perhaps, into the organization. You know, the idea that multiple sources, Biennemi and the offensive coaches work well past midnight some nights during the week. Not the standard practice. Early mornings to the workday. Well, he wants to work late at night. He's the assistant head coach. So you come in late at night. Period. Um, I don't know. I I doubt Biennemi's going to be a part of any new regime. That would be my guess. Um, this place, you know is a lot different than it was culturally. I know some of you are really pushing back on that this year. 
Uh, and, you know, it's convenient to push back on that this year uh, because they've been so bad. Um, the other quick takeaway from this story was the firing of Del Rio. It's kind of described how it came down. Um, following the Thanksgiving Day loss to the Cowboys, Rivera watched and graded the film on the flight back. Uh, he focused in on the the stretch of game at the end of the first half when it was 14 to 10, and then the Cowboys went right down the field and scored to make it 20 to 10. Um, as he reviewed the film, uh, Kime and Fowler write and reflected on the game and season, Rivera considered whether to fire Del Rio, a team source said. Um, and then Rivera pondered the impact of moving on. If he fired Del Rio, how would he divide up his tasks? By the time he arrived home, Rivera's mind was racing. He got to sleep around 3 a.m., but woke up a little more than two hours later. As he drove to the team facility, he knew the, he knew the move needed to be made. He waited until 8 a.m. to call Josh Harris. Uh, and when he called, the owner asked why he wanted to make the move, as well as the plan moving forward. And Harris, who generally believes staff changes should be made at the head coach's discretion, approved the move. And then this part was interesting. Rivera visited Del Rio's office to deliver the news and interaction coaching staff sources characterized as professional, but less than warm. Uh, Rivera then exited Del Rio's office, took a few steps into the office of defensive backs coach Brent Wieselmeyer and delivered another blunt message. Wies, we have to let you go. They knew this was ending eventually, a team source said. They just got it early. So it sounds like Del Rio was at least mildly surprised um, by the timing of his firing. Um, Yeah, so there's one more part in here. Um, And it deals with sort of Ron's, uh, you know, delegation of um, of uh, of authority to you know to be enemy and into Del Rio all of these years, uh, the coordinator changes they write cast a pall over Rivera's future because of how much faith and responsibility he places in them. Several team sources said Rivera, Rivera defers to his cord- coordinators on decision making sometimes to a fault. Quote: Ron needed to take more ownership. Closed quote. One of the team sources said. You know, you kind of come away a little bit from that particular section of the story um, thinking that, you know, there were people in that building that would have preferred Ron to be much more involved in coaching the team rather than being kind of this CEO coach. It's what Randy Mueller, the former NFL general manager for the Saints and the Dolphins, I've had him on the radio show a couple of times this year. He writes for The Athletic, and he had written, and I'm paraphrasing here because I don't have it in front of me, that when Rivera fired Del Rio, he you know, said you know, he's going to get more involved in running the defense, and Randy Mueller said, well, what have you been doing? Because Mueller worked with Ron Rivera at one point in his career, and he really was, according to Randy Mueller, a very respected defensive mind. And, and, and Randy Mueller's point was, sometimes these guys get away from what they do best, and it ends up hurting them. You know, I, we've, we've given this so much thought, and we've had so much conversation, but the Ron Rivera three and a half years here was just a shit show on so many levels for him 
And again, I'm not going to sit here and just completely take him off the hook because he doesn't deserve to be completely taken off the hook. But you just wonder with everything that was going on in those first two plus years, including his own personal health crisis, if he just ended up kind of being resigned to this is my last gig. There's a lot more to life. The money's great. The money's great. And I'm going to do my best. But man, um, I'm not going to do it the way I used to do it. Uh, I'm not going to, um, you know, I'm not going to kill myself doing everything that I used to do the way I used to do it. I've got Jack Del Rio and now Eric Bianami here to handle that. And I think he gave Scott Turner a lot of autonomy as well. One more thing before we get to Smoot. Uh, Tariq Hill, uh, the receiver that just came in here and destroyed Washington on Sunday. Uh, he was on RG3's podcast the other day, um, and he was asked about his all-time favorite wide receivers. And he gave kind of a top five. He said Antonio Brown, Jerry Rice, Terrell Owens, T.O., Steve Largent, and then he said this. And let me go, let me go Santana Moss. That, that's my top five, man. Hey, my man says Santana Moss. <laughs> I don't now, know why. I, to you. I was a fan of Santana go, Moss. Santana was, was my guy in, in Washington. Oh, yeah. Y'all yeah, played together. Yeah. <laughs> I had him my rookie year. It was wild. Like, Santana had, like, I'm not going to lie, he had, like, 20 catches and 13 touchdowns. It was crazy. <laughs> uh, you know, we didn't, use, we didn't use him as much because he was a little um, uh, older at that time. Yeah. But he could still separate. Bro. He could still play inside and outside. I was a huge uh, Santana Moss fan before I even got to the yeah. team. So it's funny you, you, you say that name because – just for the position and the culture, Santana Moss, he did so much for it, man. Return game. Thank you. Honestly, it's, to be quite honest, like similar to what you. Now Come you're, on. I love you're, Santana. You're a, let's just put it that way. Santana Moss, the player, uh, what he was able to do for me in Washington, forever grateful to that. So that's pretty cool. Uh, the most feared receiver of this era, Tariq Hill, has Santana Moss as one of his five all-time favorite receivers with, you know, a pretty esteemed group. I mean, three Hall of Famers, right? And Jerry Rice, T.O. and Largent. Uh, Antonio Brown's not a Hall of Famer. Antonio Brown's probably pretty close to being a Hall of Famer, isn't he? Um, 21st in reception yards all-time, 24th. Uh, no, I've got that opposite. 24th all-time in reception yards, 21st in receptions. Probably not. Uh, although, man, for a few years there, kind of like Hill, the most feared guy you know, in the NFL and certainly one of the most targeted receivers by Ben Roethlisberger ever. By the way, in 2012, in RG3's rookie season, Santana actually had 41 receptions uh, and he had eight touchdowns that year. He led the team in pass-receiving touchdowns with eight um, uh, that year. Josh Morgan uh, had two. Leonard Hank Hankerson had three. And Pierre had four. Aldrich Robinson had three as well. So Santana Moss, uh, he, was, he had a good season that year with RG3. Uh, you know, for the age that he was, which was 33 at the time. All right, uh, up next, Fred Smoot, right after these words from a few of our sponsors.
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This segment of the show brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag or MyBookie.com. Use my promo code KevinDC and you'll get a cash bonus on your initial deposit. Thursday night football. Listen to this. The Steelers Patriots at MyBookie. The total is 30. It's the lowest over-under number in 30 years in the NFL. Uh, I'm sure Amazon's thrilled about having this game tomorrow night. But people will watch. They will watch it regardless. Uh, but, um, yeah, I, I feel like we've said uh, and talked about totals and low totals a lot. You know, clearly the Iowa games in college football. Uh, but 30 for Pittsburgh, New England tomorrow night. MyBookie.ag, MyBookie.com, promo code Kevin DC. You've got to use my promo code Kevin DC to get the cash bonus on your initial deposit. All right, back with us by popular demand is Fred Smoot, uh, who has watched this debacle of the last couple of weeks. I've been doing <laughs> on the radio show. I've been doing, um, you know, some discussion, and we took calls today on whether or not we're actually living through the worst actual season in franchise history. Look, most of the teams you played on here were, you know, fairly competitive teams. Um, at times, uh, but you've witnessed from afar as a fan, as a media member, paying attention to this franchise, some bad ones. How do you feel mm-hmm. right now at 4-9 off of a combined 90-25 to 25 over the last two games? Uh, I, guess, I guess I had to compare, Professor, to the simple watching a, a butterfly being made. You know, it's in the cocoon first. It's ugly. It has to be burnt down to the stud sometime. And and, and, and we wonder why we've been right there in the middle of 
mediocrity for a long time, and it had to do with us always being eight and eight, seven and nine. Six and ten, never burning it down to the studs like the Texas did. Having the high draft picks, having a chance to reload the roster, having eighty million dollars to get things done, having a uh, maybe a quarterback in the ham, having room to go out there and get free agents. So it, it, it's it's one of those things where we have to be here to move forward. See, that's the thing about it. Everybody want to go on the ride to the ride get bumpy, but if the road gonna take us to the land of prosperity, how about you just sit back and watch it up? Unfold. I, I, I listen to people all the time and all these couch experts saying, what is this, what is that? You have to get down to the bare bones to actually get to where you want to be. This is the beginning of something. I ask people, what do you want? Do you want Groundhog Day? Do you want to to to, to literally let Loki control time? I, I don't know. At the end of the day, I feel people should understand where we at. This is where we at. We just traded two of our best players mid-season. That tells you where we at. That tells you what the plan is. It, the plan is to shape the roster the way they want to shape the roster and, and, and let that be in the hands of whoever controlling it at that time. When did you get so sensible? When did this happen? <laughs> <laughs> we didn't start talking about butterflies. You know, so you, you watch it happen, man. And it's nothing like it. Watching something uh, boom. I know, but uh, that's it, it, look. I didn't ask you about what it looked like moving forward. I think overall, anybody that has been through as a fan base, um, as you know, uh, uh, J- John Q on 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 the couch. Uh, former yeah. players, media members. I think we all understand that there's actually a chance, you know, now moving forward, and that the real beginning of the Josh Harris ownership uh, wasn't going to start until after this season was over. But that doesn't change yeah. that at various times, as you and I have talked throughout the season, there was some optimism here and there. And this has been a debacle of a season if we just view it in the terms of this team and the games they've played through 13 weeks. You know what? As a man that has been successfully married as long as you have, I'm ashamed of you. Because <laughs> you know one thing about a good marriage and a good friendship and a, and a good relationship, and that's what the fan base has with the team, a relationship, is what are your expectations? What did you expect with a first-time quarterback? What did you expect with a first-time coordinator? What did you expect with a defensive coordinator that's not even here? What was, what was your expectations? Let's rewind this. September, oh. take me in the head of Professor Sheehan. Where what we are and where are we going? I'm ready to rewind it. I've had you on this show a couple of times, including after <laughs> losses against the Eagles, where you said, this is a team that's got a chance to win some games. We finally have the answer a quarterback. We finally have this. We finally, and the defense is going to come together and look out. I'm with you. Look, my expectations before, in all seriousness, my expectations before the season started were I think this is worst case a seven win team because I thought the defense was going to be good and best yep. case if it turns out they've got a quarterback that can play a little bit maybe a nine or a ten win team so it's way off from where I thought it was and let's be honest it's way off from where you thought it would be as well and that's all I want to 
dress right now. <laughs> I mean, no matter how no matter how ashamed you are of me as a married man. <laughs> I just think she do it was more it's more layered to commitment more than that. Like the one thing I do a good job, and I did a good job of this when I was playing, is always looking in the mirror and say, you know what? You can lie to your wife, you can lie to your friends, you can but you can lie to yourself. You have to be a doggone scoundrel, all right? <laughs> and I ain't gonna do that. So I looked in the mirror and I said, you know what? I wrote it down on paper. A new quarterback, no matter how good he is, he's still gonna be a young quarterback. So I'm like, all right, there's gonna be some ups and downs. Right. I already knew that. Yep. New coordinator, new coordinator teaching a new offense to each and every last one of the offensive players, including the new young quarterback. All right, it's gonna be a couple problems there. We all knew that our offensive line had some holes in it. We knew that. Mix that in the pot of all that inexperience in that offense and, and that you for quarterback. I said bumpy road. All right. Defense. We all said before the season. First, first round is on the first round. You're getting back, Mathis. You're getting this. You're getting this. We should take a step forward from where we were last year. Didn't happen. So that's the mixture for disaster. And even on the one thing that we've always been had good, and it's been consistent through the years, with special teams. If it wasn't from Tress Way catching these left field foul <laughs> balls that's being snapped to him, it's like we, we would have been lost more games than this. Look, I just want to make sure that our relationship is based on honesty and trust. That is a very important that's a very important part of a relationship and and as is the ability to have patience and to forgive. Um I I was very much expect, you know, seriously, the biggest disappointment for me this year, I can't believe how bad this defense has been. That's yeah. been a surprise for you yeah. too. So why yeah. did why did it happen? Oh, here go the truth in the matter. And things that they just happen the way they are. Sometimes it's communication from coaches to player, player to coaches, player to player. But what we knew, nobody was on the same page. And I always say, let me look at the the whole the whole equation. All right, I'm sorry. You can say what you want to about these guys. This team, especially at the beginning of the year, had plenty of talent on it that had been proving itself over time. And always I say, it's it's no coincidence that everybody's playing bad. Like, nobody's having a peak season. Like, that's not a coincidence. All these dudes don't stink. So either it's the wrong uh, scheme that you're running, uh, it's the wrong communication, or it's the wrong checks, or it's the wrong this. But I refuse to believe that these guys are just all coincidentally having their worst season all together. So it has everything to do with cohesiveness. It has everything to do with play calling. It has everything to do with situation awareness. It has everything to do with red zone checks. It has everything to do with just flat out knowing the game and knowing each other. And that's what I don't like. Me and London talk about it all the time. We we knew we had sign like we, we had we could check within tenths of a second. We already knew that some stuff was nonverbal. Like, to not be on the same page as much as these guys have not be on the same page, I start to look at the totality of it. And my grandma always told me this, a fish stank from the head down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the, the the head of this stinky fish is finally gone. <laughs> Um, and, and hopefully, hopefully that gives us a reason to believe um, moving forward. Okay, so 
let's actually focus on the future here because the rest of this season, yeah. well, uh, the immediate future. What's interesting to you over these final four games? Well, you know what? I want to see who's going to stand up and be a, a, a damn man and play football. Me and Tana, Santana were talking about that. We have been in a situation where, guess what? We ain't going to the playoffs, but you playing for the name on the front of that jersey. You playing for the name on the back of that jersey. The eye in the sky don't lie. You playing for future employment. You playing for trying to make this team because you know it could be changed. All right, everybody ain't going to like your game. You playing for everything. Who going to continue to do what they supposed to do? You paid to play football. Who's going to show up and play football at a high level? Yeah, we can talk about the past. I drive a car through my front windshield, not through my rear view mirror, so I just keep on going. And that's what they have to do. Put their head down and say, you know what? Let's finish strong. And let's be very much Silky Johnson and let's just spew some hate. I'm talking about nothing but hate. Hate on the last four people you get to play with and go into the offseason with at least a good taste in your mouth on your performance and the way we came together when it was it, it was adversity. See, it's easy to be front runners and keep on playing into the playoffs, but it's hard to finish a season that didn't go the way you wanted it to go. So it's true mindset. And we'll see who just really loves football. Because some people just hate to lose, and some people just love to win, and it's a difference. It actually would be great to have Chappelle around in the locker room just for the sense of humor to deal with to deal with this travesty. Um, <laughs> it would be great. All right, so um, you're general manager. All right, you mm-hmm. get you get to play yeah. general manager. I'm going to start Ooh, with. I like I'm going to start with some of this stuff that is easier. Mm-hmm. On defense, who are the players? And put contracts aside, okay, because yeah. players could be traded. Who are the players yeah. that you definitely want back to build whatever we're going to be building once this next offseason begins? Who are the players that definitely should be back? Because you said it wasn't all, right. all about players, that these players yeah. had talent and they, they didn't lose the talent overnight. Who are the players yeah, you want yeah. back? Uh, well, the thing about it is I am in great cap condition. If I want to sign everybody back, I could. I, I'm in great cap condition because my main two studs in the middle, I still got under contract right now. Cam Curl would be the first guy that I had to get in there. And because he's coming off what I call for him, not a, not his best year, we can really get it here and wheel it deal. And I can, I can make him a, a, a Washington player for a long time. Then what I'm also going to do is – between Casey Tuhill and James Smith-Williams, I'm going to keep one of those swing guys here no matter who I'm bringing in free agency uh, at defensive end, no matter who I'm bringing in at linebacker. The one thing I'm going to think about is somebody like Shaq Leonard, or they, they're, they're formerly known mm-hmm. as Darius Leonard. You know, he's going to play this contract out with Philadelphia, but he'll be a guy that I keep my eyes on. I also want to beef up my, my defensive backfield with a veteran like everybody that I bring in will be of age when it comes to free agency because I'm gonna bring so much youth in when I'm making my draft picks on uh in the draft. So therefore, I still got some cornerbacks. You ask me, will I take on a guy like St. Juice? I would rather if it had to come to me, I would probably strike a deal with Kendall Fuller to keep him around because of his mind and his ball skills. I think it will be great for Forbes to have that presence. So if I had to let somebody walk, I hate to say it, it might be the Pope. Uh, then 
everything else we can figure itself because I can get one of the uh, best pass rushers coming out of free agency, mix them in with a pass rusher in the draft. So I start right there on my defense. Um, by the way, I'm just looking through you know, some of the defensive free agents, and you said you want some experience in the defensive yeah. backfield. One of my all-time favorite players or of the last 10 years has been Micah Hyde. He's a free agent. Oh, yeah. I yes, mean to have yes, I love my to have somebody like that, you know, with the ball skills he has. Um, but let me just make sure I'm clear on one thing: that you would take if you had the choice, Fuller over St. Juice. Yeah, okay. yeah, because I'm, I'm a, uh, you know, the one thing I love St. Juice, he's progressed to be a good corner. He's a big corner. You cannot buy size. He can run pretty much. With he's anybody. under contract next year. He's and, still under contract. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know, I yeah. know, but I'm just saying, yeah. uh, if I had to choose between them because I have so much cap flexibility, I can, I can, I can maneuver. I can play chess in here. Like nobody's stuck on my roster. You know what I'm saying? So I can, I can do some things because I want to open up. Uh, a slot for another veteran guy, another guy, because I'm a ball skills guy. Like the one thing I like about my 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 cornerbacks, I like them to be able to turn the ball over. It's like a guy going into the the the, the band ring. He, he understands when he steps up to the plate. If I go three for ten, I am an all star in this league. It's a game of flaws. It's a game of up and down when you play the cornerback position. So the one thing about it is, I got to get you as much as you get me. So this 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 everything from knocking passes down to retrieving picks to being around the ball, causing a fumble or two, causing a pop-up ball that somebody else picks off, something that's, that, that makes the defense flow. So I want to get more aggressive. And the only way I can get more aggressive is to get guys that naturally have it because I'm sorry you cannot buy ball skills off the shelf. People think you can learn it over time, but it's two different cornerbacks in the league. Always will be. It's the one that used to play running back when they was in high school, and it's the one that used to play wide receiver. And you can tell the difference between the two, a la uh, – uh, Sean Springs play wide receiver and running back, and you got a guy like Champ Bailey play uh, wide receiver. D. Hall play wide receiver. So it's different guys out there that played it, and you could tell which one played which. Yeah, so you you definitely played wide receiver. You played offense, right? Yes, yeah. I play I played wide receiver. Yes, I was Did, built like a wide receiver. So those guys think more like a wide receiver and can kind of process the game a little bit quicker. Did Carlos Rogers play offense? Yes, man, listen to me. I had always told people this when Carlos was here. It was his vision. Yes, he needed contacts. He needed uh, Lasix. And once he got Lasix, he led the league in interception. The one thing I can say about Carlos Rogers, he was never out of phase. Even when he was blind on the field like Stephen (laughs) Wonder, he was never out of phase. And the ball would just hit him in the back of the head because he could not see. But then once he got that fixed, simple fix, you see him with his peak. What if I told you that only one will be here next year, Deron Payne or John Allen? Which one would you want it to be? Ooh, that's a tough one because one is not only a D-tackle, good D-tackle in this league, he's he kind of much the, the verbal leader. One, kind of just let his play talk because talking ain't really his thing. One, youthful, 
then the other one. One I owe no cap money. Well, when, when I say no cap money, no hard cap money, because the signing bonus is gone. And see, there go my separation with it right there. I still owe Payne uh, concrete uh, guaranteed money, where I don't owe John Allen any money. So he would be my flex player, then he would be the one player that a team feel like they are one or two a player away from winning a championship that would value him enough to come give me what I want for him. But because of the cap reason, it would probably cap reasons and age. It would probably be keep. Uh, I'm keeping pain, and I would probably deal John because I know I'm dealing with a team that I can really wheel and deal and probably end up if I really pushed it and willing to trade maybe a, a lower draft pick with him, I could probably steal a late first round for a, from a contender, somebody like the Ravens. No, you're not going to get a late first round. I'm get, I can get a late first round by putting a third with it. I mean, putting a third, I'm putting a fourth with it. Like, if I want to get it, I can get it. Which of the two would bring back the most trade value? Uh, of course, it would probably be, and because of contract and youth, it'll probably be pain because of leadership. A team that feel like they missing a little leadership, that just a, the Texas or somebody. Like I think it's so situational. You don't know, and it's all about who wants you. Who feel like they need you? So I would have to look on the roster of the teams that's already playoff-bound teams and say, who can't stop the run? That's going to be the person they want to add a John Allen to their roster. All right, offensively, who do you definitely want back? Okay, offensively, I start with Logan Thomas. I feel this. Mm. If Logan Thomas is my second tight end, I got a great tight end rule. I, I want to bring him back because in the second tight end role with less reps, I can expect for him to play more games. And I think then, hence, he would be more effective playing behind whatever mismatch I bring in, like Brock Bowers or yeah. something. So he'll be a great, also great teacher, also great pass blocker, still would be a red zone uh, uh, threat. So he would really be high on my list to bring back. Now, the hard one that I'm going to have to figure out is what am I going to do with Curtis Samuels? Because people can say what they want to. He's been consistent all year long while the ball been thrown to him. He has been. So the question is, do I want to bring him back under a cap number that he wants, or do I really want to just get bigger in that position anyway, because I do got Terry, I do got Jahan. Do I want to bring me in a stupid speedster? And do I want to bring me in somebody that's 6'4", 6'5", that can catch bad balls with a big catch radius? So that's, that's going to be the only thing with him. And I think I'll lean to the ladder, and I might end up just letting him walk, and I would probably replace him with a vet and a young speedster guy. But then at the end of the day, we also got to talk about, you got Antonio Gibson, you, you got B. Rob and I think B Rob is most definitely the future. And with Chris Rodriguez still under contract, and I don't think Gibson will be under contract. No. I got to, I probably got to bring uh, his replacement in that probably runs a, I, like I got to have that game breaker, that 4 3 guy, that 4 2 guy to running back. I don't know if I find him in the draft, I find him in free agent, but I got to have that guy that's the mix match, the guy that comes in and is a threat to break it anytime he gets his hand on the ball. And we have to talk about the offensive line. You know how that goes. I feel like this. 
I think Charles Leno has had, you know, a good year. Can't say it was a great year, but I think he had a good year. He's another guy, if he's your number two, you might got to help the offensive line. If I can bring in the left tackle through and through in the draft, uh, either doing a uh, free agency, now having uh, Charles Leno as my right tackle, now I have a chance to solidify my line. And nobody's talking about Sam Cosme because Sam Cosme is, is quietly having a damn year. He's having a great year of uh, a plan that go up position. So you got some people inside there, but offensive linemen, man, and people don't understand. It's a shortage of offensive linemen in the NFL. This ain't just a problem with our team. This is a universal problem. So to snag a draft pick and to snag a, a top of the line free agent and be able to shuffle some guys and make them your number two, now you have an anchor of a line. And if you got those big boys, you always got a chance to dance. You know, that's such a an excellent point, not that you don't make them all the time, but th- I'd add to that if you and I haven't had this conversation before. Offensive line play overall is not very good. Look, for those of you that are convinced that this is the worst offensive line in the league, the, the, there are various metrics out there. You know, you take the next-gen pass block win rate. We're 15th in the league in that. Now, I don't see a good offensive line when I watch them, but – There are lots of bad offensive lines around the league. The other part of this too, Fred, and I think maybe we have talked about this, is because of the way college football is played with the spreads, um, with, by the way, a a lot of RPO where you're allowed three yards down the field, uh, different pass blocking, it's getting harder and harder to evaluate college players. And that's why you're seeing a lot of teams whiff in the draft on offensive linemen. It's not like, you know, you just take the kid from Notre Dame and you pencil him in for 10 years. You don't know that. Uh, it's, it, it, it's, a, it's, it's, it's another crapshoot area of the draft it's become. So, um, yeah. Um, and, and, and I'm hearing that the scouts, it's harder for them to track these guys now that you got the portal. Now, you're studying a guy right. one year, and he's running this uh, offense and this scheme, Then you study him the next year trying to find him, and he's he's running this scheme, and you're trying to figure out, is he having a down year because they, they switch scheme, or is he having a down year because he just can't do what they're asking him to do? So it's so much going into the offensive game. And let's not be honest, most of the 6'6", 300-pounders, they actually want to play defense. And, and, and that's the problem. The defensive line area is flooded with talent. Some of that talent – needs to switch and play offensive linemen because I, I remember days of Larry Allen and he was a defensive offensive lineman. So when you get guys like that, like, you know, Philadelphia has found a way to to identify guys by simply saying if you're 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, 300 pounds and you can move, we can teach you technique. We can make you get around a guy like Kelsey, give you some DNA and under, help you understand and simplify the game for you. So if we have pass rushers that practice that you go against every day that some of the top pass rushers in the league, you too will get better. Uh, still, shopping still, iron shopping iron. At the end of the day, that's, these are the things that make the pedigree to a good team. All right, uh, we'll let Fred continue to play GM, and we'll get to the big question of the upcoming offseason for some. That is quarterback, uh, and we will do that right after these words from a few of our sponsors.
This segment of the show brought to you by Window Nation. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com. Take advantage of an outstanding offer right now. Buy two windows, get two free. You're paying half price on the windows plus 0% financing for five years. Mention my name. You'll get a free estimate so you've got nothing to lose. Uh, We saw some snow flurries today, actually. Uh, The weather is going to turn colder here in the next few weeks. If you've got older windows, it's going to cost you a lot in heating bills this winter. 30% is what Window Nation's new windows can save you in terms of energy bills. But you've got to get new windows to take advantage of that. Uh, Window Nation's a top five window retailer in America. They've installed over 200,000 windows in the last year alone, 40 times more than the average window company. 96% of them have required no follow-up service. They get it right the first time. They measure each window three times to ensure proper fit. And I've been working with Window Nation for 14 years, and I promise you, uh, I would not still be endorsing Window Nation if the experience that I and so many of you have had with them wasn't first rate. Uh, that's what they do. They get it right the first time. They get it right all the time. 866-90-NATION, windownation.com. All right. I saved the best for last. You're the general manager, and you're picking fourth in the 2024 NFL mm. draft. Uh, yeah. Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels, you know, that seems to be where we're perhaps headed in terms of the top three. Um, yeah. You won't more likely than not have a chance for Caleb Williams unless you decide to trade mm. up. Um, mm-hmm. But what? how do you approach right now, based on what you've seen from Sam Howe, 13 games yeah. this year, how do you approach yeah. the offseason and the quarterback question? All right, great, great question. Now, we're going to go two options. All right, if we move forward, meaning we want to move up, and you say we do have the fourth pick, all right, if I want to move up to a point that I'm chasing Drake May, I might as well move up and go and get Caleb and bring Caleb Williams home. It will be no bigger attraction, no bigger thing in football than that situation. Uh, if I'm going to do that, I'm probably going to have to give up my fourth. I'm going to have to give up both of those seconds, and I'm going to probably have to give up a first round of next year. And if you think he's a generational talent, if you think he's the next Pat Mahomes, if you think this guy can be in your organization for 15 years, if you think he can turn around everything here, if you think he can get all the bad spirits and all the smut and be all the answer, yes, I go up and I get him and I put him with Terry McGloin. I put him with Jahan Dye and I put him with an offensive line and I make it happen because I can get all my offensive line capital from free agency with some with some children, veterans, anyway to protect him. So if I'm going to go all in and I want to make a big old splash because everything brand new and we got that new Cosmail, I'm going to go up because I got the fourth. I told you, you had to crash and burn to get what you want. So at the end of the day, the Texans, they made a run. They got stride. They end up getting uh, Will Anderson. And now they're right in the ticket theme. It only takes three or four players, especially with a roster that you've seen at times can play with teams and can be there. You add three or four players like that to a roster, it changes everything. So if I'm moving up, for Caleb, I would, especially because all the situations, everything that come with it, 
I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to sacrifice it. I know everybody's going to be like, oh, this RG3 all over again. No, it ain't. At the end of the day, this is what it always is. No quarterback, no chance. But if you're telling me, which you know I love Sarah Howe, you know I love the young Airwolf, but if people telling me <laughs> Caleb is generational, if they telling me Caleb is generational, I'm going to do what I got to do to get the generational player. Now, if I, if I stay put or move down, the question is, how do I feel about the left tackle from uh, Penn State? How do I feel about the left tackles, period, after I work them out? What do I feel like the gap is? Do I feel like the gap is is, is big if I don't take the first one at four? Uh, and what's the difference in me taking the next one at 12? Right, that's the thing. Who wants to get to four to maybe draft Jane Daniels because I love Sam Howe? That's the guy that I'm dealing with. So if I'm trading down, I'm going to trade down from anywhere from nine to 13. I'm willing to do that. And I'm going to do that by acquiring. Oh, I'm, a, I'm literally getting your first. I need to get a couple of things from you second. And now I'm going to really start to win a deal because now my eyes is on Brock Bowers trying to match him up with Sam Howe and me getting uh me getting a offensive lineman with that, that new first rounder I got, late first rounder, and I still got two twos. We just got to make sure that this young wolf doesn't have a red wedding experience. That's all. Um. <laughs> it was bound to be a red wedding, but he has rose. He came back like Jon Snow. He came back to life. All right. I want to read. It's like a perfect segue into reading just three quick notes that I got after the show yesterday when we talked a lot about quarterback. So this came from Jason. He writes, because it, 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 this, this encapsulates really the, the views about the whole quarterback situation. Situation. Jason wrote, yeah. Kevin, why would anybody think taking a quarterback in the top four of the draft is a good idea when Sam Howell's proven he's a starting quarterback? I don't have a problem drafting a quarterback later on in the draft, but this team needs to build around Sam rather than starting mm-hmm. over. So that was from Jason. This was from Terry. Yeah. Terry wrote, Am I really hearing fans of this team saying no to drafting a quarterback if we've got a top five pick? The Snyder scars are affecting brain function. Revisit the last time we didn't take a QB. How many sacks did Chase Young have here? I'll hang up and listen to the answer. But then here comes the best one. This came from Yanni. Yanni said, Kevin, if they think a quarterback in the draft at their draft position is much better than Sam Howell, then pick him. If not, then don't. That one gets my blue ribbon because that's what it is. If there's a quarterback there that you can either get by trading up or picking in in your spot that you've evaluated as a quarterback with a much higher ceiling and you believe is going to be much better than Sam Howell, then you have to take him. If you evaluate these quarterbacks and you say, look, I don't love any of them, then you build around Sam Howell. It's, yes. it's it's that. Yeah, 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 and not only is it that, you got to understand, you, you do it selectively and understand if I do get a Caleb Williams and I do give up some picks to get him, guess what is a hot commodity that the, 40, I mean, that the uh, Falcons would love to have? Oh, they would love to have Sam Howell. You don't think I can wheel and deal on draft day? Well, don't start talking first-round pick? picks for Sam Howell. Please don't no, do no, that. I, okay. I'm not, not going to get no first-rounder, but okay. I, I, I'm, I'm sure, I bet you I get, I get me a great quality pick for him. All right, also putting me back 
into the draft again. Like I said, it would be no, it would be nothing wrong if they came out and say we swinging for the fences. It'd be nothing wrong if they say we got a quarterback. Now let's just put all these great players around because we have all this draft capital. Like so, it's ways to get it done that can both work. Do I believe in Sam the Young Airwolf? You know for yourself, I do. I believe in him. I. Do I believe that it could be a guy there that, like you said, feeling is higher? Yes. It's all about what the, the, the team wants to do. But don't forget the elements. You got new ownership. You got, like, new everything. Like, so no, nobody's – I always know this. Every time we got a new head coach, we as players, new personally, ain't too many of us safe because everybody don't fit everybody's scheme. Right. Right. So it, it's always new when new comes. And you're talking about everything new from the top down? Like, anything is possible. Uh, as we're sitting here talking about this, uh, CBSSports.com just put out their updated mock draft. Chris Trapasso um, wrote it. This is a shocker, actually. The Bears, number one overall with Carolina's pick, take Drake May. The Patriots, with the number two pick, take Jaden Daniels and Caleb Williams slips to number six past Washington to Tampa. I look the, the, these mock drafts. We we've all watched this for years. Things things will they will change. But I I, I bring it up because I want to ask you of the quarterbacks because you like Clinton. When I have conversations yeah. with the two of you, you guys watch a lot of college football like I do, and you love it. I'm a massive Jaden Daniels fan, and he mm-hmm. he's he's going to fly up boards, I think, between now and the end of April. So give me your quarterbacks. You've already expressed how you feel about Caleb Williams. What about mm-hmm. Jaden Daniels if he were to fall to number four and you've got the fourth pick? What about Bo Nix? What about Penix Jr.? Mm-hmm. Who are, yeah. Do you like any others more than you would like building around Sam Howell? Well, the thing about it is, it's two people in this world get paid to tell lies, and that's the weatherman when he says it's partly cloudy, and then he turn around and pay, say it's partly sunny, mm-hmm. which is the same exact, uh, same exact thing. And then every draft guru in America paid to tell lies. All right, here's the thing about it. We, we see this every year where you have your top three guys maybe, and then one guy comes out of nowhere because he looks good in the draft. Then you got two more prospects only for all seven of them to get to the league and two of them to play for the next 10 years. Here go think about it. I always say, what's your comp? Who would I comp this guy to? All right, when I look at Drake May, I see somebody with a, a, a slender throw, I mean a slender body, but also a guy that can get out the pocket, can make some things happen. For him to have the long arms he got, he still zips the ball, quick release. Love to see it. has played under chaos. I love for my quarterbacks to be bathed in chaos, meaning I like for them to go to a nun, like a nun Alabama, uh, uh, Ohio State. I like them to play for an inferior team and make that team better. So he got that written all over. I see a little bit of Trevor Lawrence in him. Like, that's what I would say about him. More of a, you know, a, a Walmart. A Trevor Lawrence, you know, <laughs> uh, you know. That's called that's called poor that's called poor man's Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you love Target. Target. <laughs> okay, fine, uh, fine, whatever. 
I, so I love Drake May. And uh, by the way, I love so I, I love Walmart, but the way you said it, you were you weren't saying <laughs> you weren't saying yeah. uh, he's a, he's the Saks Fifth Avenue version of Drake May. Okay. You okay, you weren't I'm saying, saying yeah you were you were saying Walmart. We understand what Walmart is. Walmart is is outstanding. Yeah. I actually worked with Walmart many for many years back in the nineties. Made many yeah, a trip. Right. Made many a trip down to Bentonville, Arkansas, which is where they're based. But continue. Yeah, yeah, but what I'm saying, Walmart is a great franchise. I think he yeah. could be a great franchise player. I right, Jaden Daniels is the one that uh, I think I had to really do some study. I've been watching him. Of course, I watched him pretty much every game. But the thing about it is, to break the film down on the guy, I had to see why he's making his plays. I've seen him throw from the pocket, sometimes feet kind of jumping, but I also stands in the pocket and, and throw the ball against some of the best defensive backs, proving that he can really be a dual threat. Can he be a true dual threat in the pros is a question because the speed level uh, goes to a whole other level. And is he going to be selective when he do it? Then... I gotta ask myself: Is his ceiling so? Because when I if I draft a guy in the top five, top ten, his ceiling gotta be it gotta be way higher than Sam. And the one thing I got with Sam, he's proven. You don't think they'll rather have Pittsburgh or rather have Sam? Do you not think everybody that had a draft besides Purdy in that draft would rather have Sam right now? You don't think the the, the Jets would rather have Sam, a proven commodity? So. Am I willing when I could actually add some some big time players with Sam and move forward? I don't think the equation works for me with Jane Daniels. Do I, I think he could be a great player? Yes. I would rather invest in my roster with Sam before I draft him. Michael Penix Jr., I think, you know, let, let's see him in big time games. I want to see him. I want to see him under the light with people that he's not familiar playing. It's always easier to play your comforts because you know him, but when you play out of comfort, sometimes some guys get undressed. I want to see what he does in those games. And Bo Nix is basically the Santa Claus of, of college football because he's been there like 15 years. So <laughs> you know the one thing about him, he's going to be Santa's, Santa's been around for a while. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Been yeah. around for a long time. Yeah. So it, it, so he is the guy that you say, I got all the film in the world with him. He's the guy. He's, he, to me, the Brock Purdy of the draft. Won't get drafted as high as the other one, so he's going to end up going to a contender. And if he ever gets a chance to play, that'll be the last time that the starter plays with the team he's on. All right, last one. Um, because... You know, in thinking about what we started this conversation, I I didn't ask you, but I I, I wrote this down to to make sure that I asked you before the end of this conversation. You were on one of those teams that really crumbled here in Washington, and it was the last. It was the it was the last Spurrier team, the last Spurrier team. well, professor, you are the rotten professor from now on because your studies go into breaking people down. But go continue. I'm sorry. Well, look, what makes a great marriage and a great relationship is compromise. So we talked about the future, which is what you wanted. Now we're going to do what I want to do. Um, so the end of that year was Spurrier. I don't think I've ever asked you this. Was Spurrier yes. just completely checked out at the end of that year? Yeah, you know what? More than checked out, I would say he was burnt out. I would say he had, for the first time, I think football became a business, and he he he, he coaches with love. There was a, I always knew coaching was, I mean, uh, college was his heart. 
because in college you have more of an imprint as a coach on the game than you do on the pro level. Uh, college, he had more of a love for it. I saw Coach be drained of his happiness while he was in in those last couple games because it was first for the first time for him. It felt like work. I and and I think that was the difference. And if I could say anything, Coach did that he he should have kind of uh, really focused on, and it should have been the pro staff. He brought a couple of people from college to fill in gaps. You can't do. We just seen what they did to our defensive backfield this year. So at the end of the day, you gotta have the white coaches coaching these players. You can only sabotage them and set them back. So I think if he would have surrounded himself with some good good chiseled pro coaches that would have made him stick to some defined and some rules on offense, I think we would have had a chance because we did we, we did have an athlete but at, at, at certain times we just we, we just literally got blew off the field and that didn't feel good. Did you, you know, we've seen a lot of pick sixes in Washington games here over the last few weeks. Yeah. yeah. Did, yeah. You, did you ever have a pick six in Washington? I never got one in Washington. They all came in, in Minnesota. In Minnesota. I knew you had one or two in yep. Minnesota, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They all came in Minnesota for some reason, you know. It was it was uh, actually some of those picks got uh, Mike Tumley the job in Pittsburgh. He was our defensive coordinator while right. I was in uh, Minnesota. Right. Do you Yes and I had if, I had the William brothers, Kevin and Pat. Oh yeah, the two tackles. Um do, yeah. do you um if you know, there's discussion that Mike Tomlin might be available. That Pittsburgh may finally move on from Mike Tomlin. Really? Would you want him here? Oh no doubt. Who's gonna turn down Mike Tomlin? I, I agree. To, I agree. Yeah, with like, it, yeah. that's a no-brainer. But me myself, I personally don't see Pittsburgh moving on from Mike Tomlin like that. Like I haven't heard that, and I'm I'm in the NFL circles. It's been a story here. It's been a story here the last couple of days. You know, I mean, moving on from Matt Canada. Uh, that's that was so unlike Pittsburgh to fire a, a coordinator in, in midseason. And they're you know, look, he's been there forever. He's never had a losing season. More likely than not, although with Pickett down, who knows? I mean, the game tomorrow night, the Trubisky versus Bailey Zappi game. The total in that game is thirty. It's the lowest total in the NFL in thirty years. Um, but anyway, uh, who was? No, no, no. I'm taking. I'm taking him. Hands down, like, it just yeah. the, the the discipline, the mindset he brings to a team, and you know the one thing about him, he's very cerebral. So he he learns from his mistakes and new situations. Him being from the DMV area, he from Virginia. Uh, it just it, he'll see this roster, he'll see eighty million, he'll see it, it, yes, yes, he would see Sam Howell. He would most definitely be on that. And then you got to realize you can look at the uh, pattern. From the Harris group, uh, Doc Rivers, uh, the, the hockey coach, all these—they uh, they only hire like like great proven coaches sometimes. So they usually kind of be where they start their search at. But who was you? You know, uh, we don't talk about you enough when you're on with me. So I'm just going to do this for for three minutes. Because you played, you know, we, we've talked about Marty having been the guy that drafted you, and Marty's one yeah. year here. But, man, yeah. you know, you mentioned Tomlin, and it made me start to think you played for some good defensive uh, minds. I mean, yes. starting with Marty, you had Marvin Lewis. You had yeah. Greg Williams here in Washington. You talked about Tomlin. Yeah. 
you really mm-hmm. played for some outstanding defensive NFL minds. Tell me about and the it, ones it, that were, you know, the most influential for you. Well, the great part about them, Professor, they was all so different. And so that allowed me, and, and they go to misery, they the success that come from misery, it allowed me to learn four or five different schemes, allowed me to, in my head, could play anything. Think about it. I started out with Marty Schottenheimer, all, me and Champ Bailey, Daryl Green, all press man. We, we we played a little off man, but we was most definitely an aggressive team, get in your face, bump and run, get the job done, slightly uh, add a linebacker to the rush, and that linebacker would be LeVar Arrington, they had Bruce Smith as a pass rusher. So at that, mixed all the coaches I had with the Hall of Famers I played with, and there go some great defenses. I, 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 we ranked high on defense. So not only did I have Marty, all right, then I go, and I tell you something about this, about uh, Greg Williams, all right? And, uh, hold up, hold up. I start with Marvin. I start with Marvin, yeah. all right? Marvin, multiple. And he does, he, Marvin was very situational. Now, but everything we done, it mostly looked the same. So we got the linebacker in the A-gap it, for a, a zone, I mean, for a blitz. We got the got the linebacker in the A gap for his own play. Like he made everything look the same, but we would play multiple things. Very situational guy. Red zone doesn't look anything like we play at midfield uh, when we backed up. So he, I learned overall defensive discipline from Marvin Lewis. Then I fast forward to a Greg Williams, who is a mad scientist. He is coming up with things nobody does but us. We playing goal coverage. That means that the cornerbacks we're reading two to one so if i got a slot on my side and my slot runs a five yard out i attack him if he goes vertical i continue to go vertical with number one all right so what we had so many different disciplines and we got out to the quarterback and we got out the quarterback multiple ways we're gonna do press coverage we're gonna do off coverage but one thing i love about greg williams we knew when we was getting turnovers because we got him at practice he skewed turnovers if we planning on picking that playoffs in third and long we're going to pick it off in the game. Nothing was a mystery to him. Very much scheme happy. Then I get to Mike Tomlin. Now, Mike Tomlin is about more discipline, technique style. Well, I'm finna, I'm now I'm going to get schooled in the reverend of what cover two coverage is. I've been a man corner my whole life, so I got to adjust. Now I'm super part of the run front. He taught me how to play the t- cover two triangle. So if you're at the cornerback position, basically my movements mimic a triangle and I have to guard that triangle angle. So he also taught me angles, anticipation, stuff like that, how to fluff and zones, all of that. So I got all kind of schooling and all by these different senseis and out come me, Bruce Lee, a.k.a. Fred Lee. Wow. Uh, that's, that's so interesting. I mean, it really, so many different influences. You know, I'm, I, did you ever think about coaching? Oh, yeah. Coaching was on my mind, but People don't understand how much time out of your life these coaches spend over there. It's a yeah. lot more time than the football players. It's a lot more of your life. And I had gave Fred Smooth the football player three-fourths of my life, if not even more at that time. And I wanted to live for Fred Smooth the person. And the person want to do other stuff. And I'm allowed to still be a part of the football uh, because of all the TV and radio. So that 
that does it for me. For now, I can't say I won't ever get into coaching because I'm very good at it. I'm putting together right now a football university that's going to have a little bit of everything with it. It's not only going to be for the football players. It's going to be for every aspect of it. I'm going to need your help with that, too, on the yep. media part because I'm going to have media classes. Also, I'm also have a cheerleader part. So it will be the first football camp that you're able to bring everybody from the family, mama and daddy included, if they want to get in TV and radio or be educated about anything when it comes to training and taking care of players, every aspect of it, I will be doing it. But when it comes to coaching right now, I think I need to let Fred Smoot, the, 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 the talker, go out there and make his mark. <laughs> yeah, well, and you've got to focus on your relationships, and we've got a good one going because we're not we're, we're not afraid to argue, and nobody leaves with their feelings hurt. So great job and, and, today. And, and we're not afraid to share with each other. See, sharing is caring. Share, sharing is caring. That's a good one to to end on. Uh, Great job. I appreciate it as always. Hope you're well. Anytime, Professor. Fred Smoot, everybody. Uh, And that is a wrap for today. Back tomorrow with Tommy. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.